0: Every Friday night at 8pm for the next 5 weeks, we will be bringing these deep discussions and powerful presentations on health, migration, Brexit, entrepreneurship and more to you right here on your favourite Unmute Now podcast channel. On today's episode, Dr. Lisa Claire Witten talks about Brexit, racism and strengthened rights. Dr. Witten is a research fellow whose dissertation focused on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Prior to her PhD, Dr. Whitten worked in the political and public sectors, including in Westminster and in Brussels. Who better to clarify the intricacies of Brexit, the Northern Ireland Protocol, and its impact on racism, as well as improvements in human rights provisions? As we hear the efforts to address the deep concerns at Stormont, Dr. Whitten outlines the complexity of Northern Ireland's politics and geography. Remember now to like, share and subscribe to Unmute Now as we keep raising the volume on the whispered conversations in our community.
1: We're going to go into some detail about Brexit and how it's played out here in Northern Ireland because if you've been living here the last number of years we've all kind of been swimming in it a little bit. Um, it's it's going to have come across uh, your path, Brexit, Northern Ireland and all the drama so hopefully I'm going to explain that to you but also towards the end give you some um, tools and some like information around the rights that Um, Have been impacted by Brexit, but also the rights that you have as a consequence of it and of the way that it's played out here. Um, So, hopefully, yes, we're crashing into Brexit Saturday morning after such an entertainment, but I hope it's going to be useful and not just today, but in future. So, if you can go with me on that, amazing. Um, The second, I do just want to put a disclaimer because um, when we talk about this stuff, and particularly when I get to talk about the impact of Brexit on Uh, attitudes of race and racist um, activities and crimes and incidents. um, I'm really aware that I'm like one of the whitest humans God makes (laughs) um, as as an Irish and I can't know, can't escape that, I can't get outside my own context um, and I have to, you guys have to face this stuff and deal with these issues in a way that I don't have to and I'm just really aware of that and I feel like I want to learn from you as much as um, I'm going to give you a whole load of chat about Brexit and its impact here so those are my two disclaimers sorry that we're talking about Brexit and number two teach me as much as I want to um, give you some tools here okay first going to look at how we got here where we are and then why what it means slash why any of it matters and um, so in terms of how we get, got here what did Brexit mean what did it mean for Northern Ireland why did it Create so much um, drama here. I'm sure you've seen graffiti and stuff. Have you seen graffiti about Brexit and um, all up around the place? Uh, why is that? Why has it been so disruptive here? Why has it been so tense? And then, where are we now? Like, what's happening in terms of our government um, and the impact and how it's playing out? And then we'll look at what it might mean um, going forward, and particularly what are the specific impacts for Black minority ethnic communities as a consequence of Brexit. Sounds fun, we'll do it. Okay, Um, first of all, what did Brexit mean for Northern Ireland? Um, Has anyone heard of the protocol? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So by the end of this session, you guys are gonna be more educated and read up on the protocol than the majority of uh, people who talk about it, (laughs) I would suggest. And we'll look at why it exists and why it's been so disruptive um yes so what did brexit mean right um european integration uh eu membership um when a country joins the eu um and they decide to uh opt in to the ever closer union of european integration one of the consequences of that is that the borders between con- the countries get softer, and we mean goods, people, money, services can flow more freely. Um, i.e., you can go without getting passport checks to Europe, um, free travel, all that stuff. You can go set up life. You can do Erasmus, um, all of that good stuff. But the con- one of the um, impacts of that so softer borders between states is that the borders on the outside of EU members gets harder because in a sense those borders are carrying more weight than an ordinary interstate border generally does. So they have to do more of the checks, more of the controls need to be implemented there because they. The countries that are within the european union have opted in to have a common visa policy common customs staff and um, common rules about the way the state operates so the borders on the outside get we talk about harder which means the checks um, are more burdensome um, and there's more administration there and it's harder to travel as a um, as a person so how does that match to brexit Brexit, The Brexit project, the referendum in 2016, a lot of the narratives were about taking back control. Um, So the UK state uh, and the the campaign for leave talked a lot about regaining control of the the laws and the borders that apply in the UK. um, And kind of like pulling back some of that softening of the borders and the rearranging of borders that had happened as a consequence of EU membership. So, implementing Brexit was always going to mean reassessing the borders of the UK um, and making them harder. So, making the checks stronger, more burdensome. um, And that was a reality of Brexit. That's what take back control was going to mean. And that's what being a non-EU member state was going to mean. Okay, so why does this matter for Northern Ireland. Go to the next slide, love it. So Northern Ireland in the context of the UK um, has unique circumstances in the context of Brexit. So in that project of taking back control because of Northern Ireland's position, um, it was always going to be a bit particular, a bit different, a bit harder here. Why? Well the first reason is really obvious. Um, Just geographically, Northern Ireland is the only part of the UK that shares a land border with another EU member state. And that process of like softening borders um, between EU member states always um, goes faster at land borders, because basically humans are better at walking across land borders than they are better than... Sea borders, right? Um, so the integration process that comes, goes faster along the land border. It's always gonna be messier and more complex. Then also added into that in Northern Ireland, you have this historic um, and political uh, hmm, complexity around borders. So the history of Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland has been defined by um, conflict over borders, about what they mean, about um, what identities they bestow on us. So the land border here um, has long been uh, even more um, challenging than an ordinary land border. Um, And that process of integration, 1998, the Good Friday Agreement, one of the things that it introduced was a possibility of faster integration between ireland and northern ireland um, and north-south element which allowed for things like cooperation on healthcare, on um police and judicial cooperation tourism education like lots of kind of daily life issues that have a north-south dynamic so again thinking back to brexit and taking back control for the island of ireland not only um was that hardening of the border process uh going to have to operate on a land border uniquely in Northern Ireland but it was going to have to do it in the context of there being unique circumstances that allowed for greater integration like the detangling was going to be more complex here even than it would have been between um, France and Germany because they have a land border do you know what I mean So, and that's before we even mention the politics of it um, and the personal and lived experience of communities on the border um, on the island of Ireland. So, both sides, both the UK and the EU, um, recognised from the beginning um, that Northern Ireland had unique circumstances. Yeah, if you can flick through this one. um, I guess just to emphasise that the border along here um land border i'm sure you guys have traveled like from belfast to dublin donegal it's really hard to notice um the border kind of doesn't exist uh so you have the kind of practical reality of a 300 kilometer long border it was never meant to be an interstate border it was a um, border between counties, it goes through people's homes on occasions. It crosses rivers, like it winds and everything. So, if you're going to implement the the hardness that's required to be the border of the EU, along here, logistically, looking at it, it, it kind of isn't possible, or we don't have the technology developed yet to make it work. And that's before you look at this, the history. So this is. Um, There used to be customs posts on the border um, and there used to be military outposts on the border as a consequence of the conflict. Um, The border, when you look at the vote in um, 2016 around the referendum of Brexit, all of the border communities had some of the highest votes for remain. Um, So one of the challenges is if you were going to implement a really rigorous border regime that involves like drones and technology and checking and all of that, people there didn't, want it let alone we don't have the technology to implement it Um, so (laughs) what do you do Uh, in the negotiations you're amazing at this thank you you're like reading my mind Um, uh, so it came up with the UK government um, in their negotiating priorities and the EU's negotiating priorities when you read them together This is what became known as the Brexit trilemma. Um, So the UK and the EU had both committed to not try to implement a physical hard border on the island of Ireland for logistical, historical, and political reasons. Um, And they didn't think it was going to secure the EU markets. They just didn't think it was going to work. Promise number, so that was okay that's promise number three but hey we'll go with it um promise number one up there that was the uk government's aim to take back control so this is the brexit narrative the idea that the uk is going to take like control back and be a stronger state independent so they want to leave the eu single market and leave the eu customs union so they talk about that as like a hard brexit and because that would require more checks more trade friction and more um kind of lived friction between uh, people traveling between the eu and the uk but that was the vision of brexit um as was uh, pursued by the uk government at the time then promise number two over there was that there would also be no hard border between northern ireland and great britain right um because they didn't want that because northern ireland is part of the uk the thing is You can't do all three of those things (laughs) and still operate in the world that we live in that operates with like global trade um, and checks go somewhere and rules have to apply and someone has to check that they're being applied. So they started to talk about this as unicornology, which is really a but to get to the middle center of D. Um, So what happened? Well, I'm not going to revise all of the messy politics of Brexit, but to summarize, Theresa May, um, so if you flick on, her approach, um, this is her resigning, um, which, which looks so, so upset. Her approach was to compromise on the nature of promise one. So the UK as a whole would have a hard Brexit, but it wasn't like really hard. <laughs> and they would still have free access to the EU market, they would still follow some of the rules, and they would still be a close, like, trading neighbour. Um and it it couldn't pass her party. So the Conservative Party and particularly strong and powerful group in the Conservative Party um didn't think this was Brexit. This wasn't fulfilling the vision of taking back control. So they opposed all of this. Um some in the Northern Ireland also opposed it, the DUP um because they felt there wo there would have been differentiation for Northern Ireland even within Theresa May's plan, so they said no to that, even though there was less differentiation. And the next plan, speaking of, in came Boris Johnson Um, and he did it differently. Um, He compromised on the promise to thing. So he said, (laughs) well, what Boris Johnson said and then what Boris Johnson did, um, different things. Uh, So um, he agreed a protocol that provided for Northern Ireland to leave on different terms to the rest of the UK in the Brexit process. Crucially, the I mean again just thinking how this plays out, the Boris Johnson plan wasn't at the time, if the UK as a whole kept a close relationship with EU as a whole, the protocol, so the different arrangement for Northern Ireland wouldn't have been so dramatic but he really went for um the top one the leaving the single market and the customs union um so we'll get to that in a minute okay so that's basically brexit this is what it gifted us a protocol yay um so what's the protocol it is compromise between those three different aspects it provides for no hard border on the island of ireland and Northern Ireland continues to have free access to the whole of the EU single market, unlike GB, but as a consequence, the corollary is checks and controls need to be um, carried out on the sea border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. <laughs> I'll get to that in a little bit more in a minute. Um, so the protocol, this is it, isn't it lovely? Um, it's a legal text. It's part of a treaty between the UK and the EU um the withdrawal agreement it has 19 articles seven annexes and um its aim in its own words is to address the unique circumstances on the island of ireland to maintain necessary conditions so there's aspects of like cooperation north south healthcare education tourism all of that um it aims to conti- to allow those to continue um and to avoid a hard border on the island of Ireland and protect the 1998 agreement that's what it says it's contested as to whether or not it achieves that so this slide I'm going to try and do this really quickly because this goes through all of the 19 articles um, which I do think well anytime I do this um, we're in a strange political situation where a legal text that is normally like a niche interest for lawyers and geeks um, <laughs> is really central and is being graffitied about, um, and is like has really disrupted our government and our the place that we live. So I do think sometimes it's useful to get a sense of what it actually means and what it actually does, rather than just how it's spoken about. So that's my justification for taking me through a slide with 19 little small boxes. Um, So very quickly, Article 1 states that the objectives of the protocol that we've just outlined to address the unique circumstances of Northern Ireland. Article 2, which I'm going to speak about more as we close, um, provides certain guarantees for the rights of individuals to uphold those in in the context of Brexit. Article 3 makes provision for the common travel area that exists between the UK and Ireland which is quite a unique arrangement between two countries but existed before um, EU membership and allows for free travel um, between Great Britain and Ireland so it allows that to continue. Um, Article 4 says that Northern Ireland remains fully within the UK customs territory and this is where we get into a little bit of fudge territory kind of um, saying one thing but eh, maybe playing out in a different way Article 5 says that although Northern Ireland is fully in the UK customs territory, the EU customs code is going to apply to it in respect of goods um, which is kind of the yeah, um, they call it constructive ambiguity uh, use it in conflict, conflicted situations. Article six says um, makes provision around the protection of the UK internal market. And um, says that this protocol will be applied to the extent ne- to the extent possible. It will allow for the free flow of goods between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, albeit making provision for the application of the EU customs code and EU rules to Northern Ireland. We'll go with it. Article seven is probably. Like mm, candidate for the most geeky, it introduces um, a trademark for Northern Ireland to Northern Ireland goods to flow into the EU single market. It's called UKNI. Makes a couple of provisions around um, certification and regulation of goods. So when we're talking about this stuff, this is about the standards. So how do you guarantee that that chair has been made to the level that is required in law, so that when you sit on it. It doesn't collapse underneath that's what we're talking about know, across a whole range of areas um article 9 makes or article 8 is around fat and excise which is kind of just one of those things that follows global trade now if you're trading in goods you need to be VAT registered and know about all that stuff again bit niche um article 9 single electricity market so on the island of ireland um, the grid, basically because we're a small place, um, we ha- operate our electric grid and our energy markets are pretty, um, they operate in the same physical grid. Again, it's back to that geographic point um, and they're regulated together. Um, there's a joint regulation system. So in order to keep our lights on and our like Macs and um, presenters flowing, uh, this Article 9 allows that to happen in the context of Brexit because the UK is coming out of the EU system for energy and electricity. Article 10, state aid, again, pretty niche, basically, um, the laws around what government sponsoring of any initiative following trade. Um, Again, it's that like VAT cus- and excise it goes with if you're trading goods. Often there's an, a stadium implications in law and in international trade. Article 11 is on other areas of North South cooperation, so those areas that aren't specifically covered when it relates to trading goods your tourism, your education, your sport, um, crime and justice, all of that stuff. Article 12 and 13, um, and then I'm going to go 16 and 17, are all about the way this thing is going to be um, enforced so the laws that are around it, who uh, checks that it's being done, that the laws this makes applicable are um, actually being implemented and the controversial thing to note in that is that it gives the EU Um, court and the EU just like legal system jurisdiction in Northern Ireland because Northern Ireland under this protocol is continuing to have access to the EU single market um, and EU rules around goods apply under Article 5 specifically so that is politically controversial um, as we will see. Uh, Article 14 and Article 15 set up dedicated um, committees to talk about the implementation of this and how it's affecting um, people on the ground and then article 18 um, just at the bottom there is around the democratic consent mechanism which you haven't heard much chat about but may come to the fore again um, or may come to the fore in future because it allows for the Northern Ireland Assembly to take votes every four or eight years on whether or not they want um, the main body of this stuff to continue to Pla- uh, apply in Northern Ireland. Um, so the first vote on that is due Christmas, twenty twenty four. What a gift! Um, so, right. <laughs> Thank you for enduring that. <laughs> Congrats. Um, so, what impact has Brexit and the protocol had on Northern Ireland? Okay, we talked about um, our sea border. It's created an our sea border, and that's why you see graffiti about it all over the show, because again, back on that compromise, um, checks and controls need to be implemented at the ports and airports in Northern Ireland in a way that they haven't before. Um, And also because of the arrangement made for the UK as a whole with the EU as a whole, the the trade controls between the UK as a whole and the EU are really much harder so the whole take back control narrative like that's the realization of it um have you seen anything in the news over the summer around like queues the dover ports and traveling across like all of that that's the implementation of brexit um and the requirements now because they don't share rules anymore um stuff needs to be checked and some of that it's not to the same extent as the uk eu like gb EU border but for GB to NI because goods are regulated in Northern Ireland to EU standards and they're not anymore in the UK GB context. The Irish sea border, the ports of Belfast and, um, and the airports are now in effect like they're not full the border of the EU single market because they're not for services and stuff. This is a compromise but they are holding that weight of like the hardness of the outside of an EU market right so this is politically controversial and that's a nice little diagram that says more eloquently what I just said um so how did this play out January 2021 there was evident disruption um one of the issues is that The arrangements between the uk as a whole and particularly ukgb and the eu were agreed at very last minute so um for example uh christmas eve i think is when they actually signed a text to say this is what's going to happen between the uk government and eu but what that also meant because of the protocol was that was also signing the text that would say how this was going to play out for Northern Ireland um, and that was Christmas Eve. It was signed, it was passed in the two parliaments um, or in the UK Parliament at uh, New Year's Eve or the, just before New Year's Eve um, and it had to go live on the 1st of January 2021. So traders here, businesses here, um, the last notification came to them was about parcels, which is not a small thing if you're a business here. Um, so the rules on what was going to have to happen to parcels going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland um, came through at 11.45pm on the 31st of December 2020. And it was law in 15 minutes. And they were going to have to implement it and comply with it. So, tricky. (laughs) Um, And it, it took effect. And there were delays and the systems are still getting better they are now smoother but this was the first effect and politically that was kind of important because um the implementation of the irc border is contentious here in northern ireland particularly because it's felt um to the unionist loyalist community as a violation of their britishness and a threat to northern ireland's place within the uk um and so the evidence in supermarket shelves of not having goods that particularly in the 1st of January um, and in the early months of that year really was, it was like a felt reality of this kind of political move that they already felt um, was a betrayal. That's the narrative that's used in the unionist and loyalist community. So the disruption had political implications, although today what we see is that it has become a lot smoother um, and these are some figures that don't feel that like you have to zoom right in and um, look at in detail but uh, what they say is that um, Northern Ireland GDP as a region within the UK was act- is actually doing better or has done better um, and part of that is a protective um, impact of the continued access of Northern Ireland goods to trade with the EU single market because it's a big place um, and yeah this uh, was just on, thanks again reading, perfect, <laughs> so in June um, so in the early months uh, that's graph on the right and you just see kind of a jump up in all of those figures this is from the Northern Ireland Chamber of um, Commerce so it's businesses here saying whether or not they found it difficult to adapt to the new Brexit arrangements and essentially what you see is that yes they did but they are now adapting to it the majority are now adapted well to it Um, uh, and that's not to say that there aren't issues right so this is like all of the UK ministers that have been involved (laughs) Um, and it's not even up to date at all because they change literally (laughs) like day to day Um, but the implementation of the protocol has been um, controversial not just in Northern Ireland but between the UK and the EU Um, and the UK government have accused the EU of implementing it in a way that's um, too rigorous and the um, EU have accused the UK of not implementing it, which, to be fair, they can kind of haven't. Um, but so they've started talks, um, and talks are ongoing. They haven't really figured it all out yet. So, what are they talking about? Um, they're talking, there are some issues that, so I, I did say that it's gotten smoother, the arrangements have gotten smoother. Um, but this is an untested system like Brexit has never been done before. And the implementation of this kind of protocol arrangement, like it is niche and it's not, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Um, and it really, it has raised issues that weren't fully thought through. Also in part because, as I just said, like the arrangements for UK trade as a whole with the EU only came into play a year afterwards and we had no time to like smooth out what was clearly going to be disruptive impacts so um i'll not go through all of these basically like you may have heard stuff about pets you may have heard stuff around there was a big sausage thing for a while um about cold meats uh there's also like plants um potatoes uh (laughs) i mean the stuff that i've learned about doing this job in the last number of years i'd never imagined um and it's interesting, I guess, to look at the UK government's medicines as well. I should say medicines was a big one. Um, but uh they have actually agreed, so the EU changed their laws to allow for um uh Northern Ireland route in to ease what would have been really quite disruptive impact um on medicine supply here. So that one has largely kind of been ticked off and addressed. Um Issues still uh, are there around customs um, and then the UK want to change the terms of enforcement. So they want to have the EU court not applying, um, which for anyone like EU lawyers, that's like, say what? Because <laughs> EU law applies here. And so it's like, but if the court should implement that... So we're still they're still talking, sort of. Sometimes. Um just moving to look a bit more specifically about the political impact here. Um, as I said, it hasn't been great. Um so the implementation of an Irish sea border um for unionist loyalist communities uh has really felt like a threat to the position of Northern Ireland within the UK. Um and like a dilution of their British identity. And this com- the compromise that was made around um, implementing checks and controls, they think is not valid. And um, so there's been a series of organized protests against it. Um, and we did see uh, a period of rioting um, in April, 2021, um, that wasn't purely about the protocol, but that was a factor there. Um, and throughout that time and the series of public marchi- marches um, an ongoing political protest and mobilisation against the Irish sea border and the protocol and should say that has been part of the push on the UK government to pursue more talks with the EU. Um, we can debate their strategies <laughs> but there is uh, there is something to be... I think the point is ought to be made that the mobilization of Unionist loyalist communities here and unionist politicians here has influenced the UK government's policy and position. Um in terms of our government and the, the government um or lack of government at the minute, uh so Jeffrey Donaldson, leader of the DUP, um the DUP pulled out of the Northern Ireland executive um earlier this year in protest against the protocol and its implementation and the lack of movement on making it, um, uh, of changing those arrangements. Uh, Northern Ireland has a power sharing government system, part of the peace agreement here. So it requires unionists and nationalists to be involved and to agree in order to progress. um, And that does make the institutions really vulnerable to collapse. And so actually 40% of the time, and it's kind of going up, but uh, that they've existed, they haven't actually been in operation. Um, And it's it's maybe also just worth saying, like dealing with something like the complexity of implementing Brexit and the untested system of the protocol um, and all of the changes required is harder in a power sharing system. Because you're gonna like you ha- rely on the level of compromise or ability of the two extremes to compromise, and um, so it's been a really disruptive, uh, had a really disruptive impact in Northern Ireland politics um, and our institutions, and some of what's ongoing at the minute. um I, like I went to update this slide last night and thought, I just like <laughs> where would you stop? Yeah. Um, so some developments just to flag in UK EU talks they they kind of broke down recently they're now in a better place but quite recently they broke down because the Northern Ireland or the UK government introduced the Northern Ireland Protocol bill which proposes to disapply in UK law what applies under the protocol that they signed up to um and it would remove some of its effects worth saying that when you look at the detail of that bill um, really it's giving UK ministers a whole lot of power to to affect what's happening it's not disapplying the protocol although that is kind of how it's being messaged which again for Northern Ireland politics is problematic because you're putting out there that you can promise to take this all away but you're not and you're kind of acting like you are but you're not really um, so we'll see how this plays out uh, the EU in response um, because of the arrangements that exist between the UK and the EU they could take infringement proceedings like legal action because the UK is proposing to um, go back on their word um, and what they said so again talk's ongoing we'll see what happens I'm going to leave it there in terms of <laughs> where we are um, and then I just want to spend the last like 10 minutes five ten minutes talking about why any of this matter and matters and how it might impact specifically on black communities in northern ireland um and rights and access and in this section like <sighs> Brexit's impact on um levels of societal peace tolerance and upholding of the rule of law um, and justice honestly, like you can't sugarcoat it, it hasn't been great. <laughs> um, and the data does show that this, yeah, next slide kind of gives just an example that, um, levels of, uh, racist incidents, um, and race crimes, um, and experiences of racial discrimination across the UK did go up. And, this is a society it's a societal phenomenon that you see when you study this stuff in general that when um at a high political level you have um a strengthening of kind of exclusionary discourse of nationalist discourse um and a sense of kind of a greater sense of the other whoever that is um in political language that you do often see an increase in um crimes and discrimination and um, because it's like a permissibility effect. Um it's I don't yeah, can't um I wish it was other, but it wasn't and it isn't. But it's not totally without hope. <laughs> um just to say in Northern Ireland uh we have seen the same trend. Um and specifically like if you can look this is PSNI statistics, um and around the implementation of the protocol in 2021, there was a real jump um, in incidents of racist um, uh, racial discrimination and and um, criminal acts. So you are seeing that the fear and the mobilisation and anger in society um, has this effect. And I'm really sorry for it. Um, but, right... One of the impacts of Brexit specifically and the Northern Ireland his- Northern Ireland's history um, more generally is that Northern Ireland has a unique relationship to rights law um, and kind of the constitution of Northern Ireland puts rights more central um, than in the rest of the UK. Um, and this was recognized in the protocol in the context of Brexit, so article two provides guarantees for the rights of individuals um, and it puts an obligation on the UK government to ensure that there is no diminution in rights as a consequence of Brexit and that UK citizens had pre-Brexit. So it links it to two like two kind of documents that I'll flag um, in the next two slides but um, It includes in the area of protection of discrimination and it also gives power to bodies here rights bodies here to make sure the uk government are upholding this stuff so this is the like um this is the tool that you have to push back against um the real like weight of negativity that comes with brexit um so Oh, I clearly had fun on the um, animations last night. <laughs> right. So, yes, as I said, it links. So that Article 2 um, gives us all, as citizens in Northern Ireland, um, specific protections for uh, a series of rights. Um, and those rights exist in two, two documents. So first in the 1998 agreement and under... The 1998 agreement, together with Article 2 of the Protocol and some UK law that's implemented it, these are the rights that are upheld, right? Um, so, right of free political thought, right to freedom and expression of religion, right to pursue democratically national and political aspirations, the right to seek constitutional change by peaceful and legitimate means. This was the 1998 agreement. Um, the right to freely choose one's place of residence. That one's actually quite interesting in the context of Brexit and may come to the fore in some um, case law just because of free movement issues and stuff. The right to equal opportunity. I've put this one in bold. In all social and economic activity, regardless of class, creed, disability, gender or ethnicity. So again, that's a particular tool to push back against any racial discrimination experienced. And... Um, the right to freedom from sectarian harassment, the right of women to full and equal political participation, the right of victims to remember as well as to contribute to a changed society. Again, context, conflict. Um, respect, understanding and tolerance in relation to linguistic diversity. I think it's fair to say Northern Ireland's still working on that one. Um, and a lot of these things. Oh, and one more. Um, the need to ensure that symbols and emblems are used in a manner which promotes mutual respect rather than division. As an aside, that one honestly kind of vaguely makes me laugh because (laughs) i mean we literally paint curbs here (laughs) um anyway uh, those rights under the protocol actually as a kind of positive they now have greater force of law than they did before the protocol and before brexit because more powers have been given to rights bodies here to make sure the uk government are upholding those rights as well Article 2 links in its other um, uh, thing, and when it was written out, links to Annex 1 of the protocol. Again, this is like niche legal text stuff, but there are six directives under Annex 1. Um, that, again, like it's good, I think it's useful to know that these protections exist in law. So if you ever experience any um, discrimination or incident, this is what you can push back with to to fight that and correct it. So, um, the majority of them are in relation to employment and gender equality in employment um, and requirement for equal treatment um, for uh, social security matters, access to social security. But then the one that is specific. Um, specifically useful to know of um, for a black community and other um, minorities is the Racial Equality Directive um, that requires uh, the principle of equal treatment of persons irrespective of racial or ethnic origin. Um, so, again, for Northern Ireland, while this existed pre-Brexit, um, because the protocol in Article 2 required, like, New powers of enforcement and oversight, um, to rights bodies here that are independent of government. It actually does mean that the, these rights and the 1990 agreement rights have been strengthened, um, as a consequence of Brexit. So it's one of the like very few silver linings <laughs> for here, um, to see. Uh, and what are those bodies that I've just talked about? Um so the Equality Commission for Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission um have an obligation to um monitor like I swear we're like we're so in tune. Monitor, advise, inform and represent. So they are obligated to monitor what the UK government are doing, um in terms of making law across all areas and to make sure that they th- those laws they're making don't um violate any of those rights under annex one or under the 1998 agreement and or that um the there isn't right variation between rights being upheld in ireland and in northern ireland and what that means is that there's an obligation for northern ireland in a certain section of rights law to continue to follow eu developments Um, the equality commission northern Ireland human rights commission are also meant to advise UK ministers, uh, whether or not the UK ministers listen, still working on that. Um, But they are advising and they are raising issues that are coming to the fore in terms of um, legal developments in the UK. So that is good to see, um, a a level of accountability and a mechanism for accountability. Um, They're also due to inform the UK population or Northern Ireland population of these rights that do exist. And also they can represent you in legal proceedings um, and or give legal advice to anyone um, on the basis of whether or not they've experienced this sort of stuff. So, that's me.